Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Yeah. We will see it, Lord. I thank you for all that we have heard and seen, but I thank you for the more that's coming. May our hearts be open this morning to be used by you for that very purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. All right. Well, happy Pentecost Sunday. (laughs) Um, For those of you... Uh, who haven't heard, I just want to give a special shout out and thank you to Joe Johnson and the amazing Alpha team, uh, who, there's so many that serve alongside of him, but they, they just got done with the, uh, the Holy Spirit weekend. I think Joe said yesterday at some point there was around 70-something people that were attending, which is really just incredible. Um, so that, that's an amazing, amazing time. Uh, Alpha's still continuing, so I think last year we had some confusion. People thought uh, Holy Spirit Weekend ended it, <laughs> and no one came the next uh, Tuesday. But there is Alpha this Tuesday. There's a few more weeks. Um, amen. All right, let's, uh, let's open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump into this in just a moment, but obviously it's Pentecost Sunday. It's really, it's really hard to just put into words the significance uh, of this day. Um, Holy Spirit is not less than Father or Son. Um, he's not greater. He's, he's the same. He's God. And so in the same way that we celebrate the coming of Jesus, um, there is something very significant that we are celebrating today. Again, this does not mean that Holy Spirit uh, was never upon the earth. No, he was very active in all all aspects of creation and God's work. You'll see him all throughout the Old Testament, but Jesus opened the door. Through the life of Jesus, the door has been opened in a way that we've never seen. What was in part and kind of partial in the Old Testament uh, has now been opened up to all of those who are in Christ. And, uh, and there's a lot of ways that we could attack and, and kind of come around the Acts 2 Pentecost story where the 120 were in the upper room and there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm just going to kind of take just one small little angle this morning, but I want to, before we jump in and just read the text, I want you to just maybe see it from this perspective, that um, one, of the, one of the texts that has so gripped me over the last few years is Revelation 21, 1 to 5, and this is a text that really has just changed the way I see where all things are going, also what my mission is for today, because where you think things are going will really impact how you live today. <laughs> And, and one of the great statements that God makes, he says, behold, I am making all things new. These words are trustworthy and true. And uh, he doesn't say he's making new things. He's making all things that already exist new. So he's actually not crumpling up and restarting, but he's transforming and redeeming and renewing that which already exists. He's actually removing every sign of sin and its curse on humanity. And so the entire trajectory of life, of creation, is on a trajectory of transformation. Do you know that? Even in the midst of we still see like the present age around us, I get that. We still see signs of sin and suffering and all those things. But actually when Jesus broke into this world, a new day has started. Everything is being made new. It's being worked into the present age, which Galatians says is marked by evil, but this is different. And, and so how does this happen? Well, this all things being made new, first and foremost, Jesus becomes the, he's the firstborn. He's the prototype. Guys, when Jesus goes to the cross and dies, it's like the old order gets put to death in his body. Everything associated with the former way, the first Adam gets put to death. When Jesus rises again, it's like the new order has begun. The age of the spirit is upon us. And now everything is changing. But I want you to hear me that it's not just was Jesus, it was Jesus by the Holy Spirit that was going about restoring and redeeming everything that was touched by sin. So listen, this is really important for, for this morning. I just want you to catch the, like, the significance of Acts 2. At original creation, what was the Holy Spirit doing? It was hovering, waiting for the word to be released. Well, what happened in new creation? 
When, when Mary was told that she's going to have a child, the word of God, what was the Holy Spirit doing? Hovering over Mary. Overshadowing. It's the same concept, hovering. It was a sign of new creation here now. The Spirit was about to do a new work. Think about this. When Jesus comes up out of the Jordan rivers and is baptized, it says the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. Why like a dove, though, right? I know there's a lot of reasons, but why like a dove? I think primarily it's because it's drawing us to an Old Testament story I know you're all familiar with. It's the story of Noah, which is when the floods covered the water, it was the dove that was released, and the dove was the sign of a new day, a new beginning. Something new is starting. So Jesus comes up out of the waters. The dove comes and rests on him, and it's a sign that a new day has started. So everywhere Jesus goes by the dove, Every healing, every deliverance, every salvation, every restoration of an outcast back into community, it's declaring to this world a new day is here. A new start is here. Now, what makes Pentecost so incredible is that the Pentecostal narrative is where there was a transferring of the dove from Christ to the church. (laughs) At Pentecost is a transferring of the charismatic spirit that rested on Christ is now resting on the church to do what? To go and do what Jesus did. That means that we are now to become extensions of the ministry of Christ. That the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the dove, if you will, coming to rest on us, is a means that it means that we are now heirs and successors of the earthly charismatic ministry of Christ. In fact, Acts 1.1 sets it for us. If you've ever read it, Luke writes Acts. He also obviously writes the Gospel of Luke. It's one continuous story. And he writes in Acts 1.1, he says, O Theophilus, in my former book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, He says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What's he implying? He's implying that now in this, my second book, Acts, I will deal with all that Jesus continues to do and teach. Except one problem. Jesus won't be on the earth. He's ascending. So how will the words and works of Christ go forward? By the church. But if we're going to do that, we need the dove that rested on him. (laughs) That's the whole thing. The whole ministry has been transferred to us. Isn't that mind-blowing? We are to go out. Guys, every time a salvation happens, every time you pray for a broken body, a broken mind, broken families, and you see the kingdom of God working in that, it's a sign of the new day. It's breaking in. Yes, we see the signs of the present age that is evil, but it's fading away, it says. The new day is coming upon us. And look, we, we shouldn't be surprised by this, this, this transferring. Do you know that actually this is a very common theme in the Old Testament? And Jesus, when he comes... He's the fulfillment of like every Old Testament leader. Jesus takes what they did and brings it to a whole nother place. But the the idea is that he actually builds off of what they've done. And when you look in the Old Testament, whenever there was a charismatic, like spirit-endued individual, at the end of their life, what would happen is the spirit that was on them would be transferred to the new leader so that they would be an extension of what the first leader did. So Moses, when he's about to die, the, the spirit was on him, is given to Joshua. Actually, it was given to the 70 elders as well so that they could judge uh, and help Moses. Um, Elijah, his cloak, the anointing on Elijah is passed to Elisha, right? Uh, You have Saul's, actually the anointing is passed to David. So when Jesus steps on the scene, we shouldn't be surprised that he's clothed in power from on high, begins a ministry, dies, and then says, now I'm passing the baton onto you. Now through my Holy Spirit, you will continue to go about doing these things. The works and words of Christ. What did he do? I encourage you to not let anyone inform you of what that should look like. Just read the Gospels for yourself. See what Jesus actually spent the majority of his time saying and doing. And just ask, is that, is that what we see contending for today, right? So that's what we want to do. So, all right, all that to be said, let's turn, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 2. This is a passing of the baton that we're seeing. We're being invited to see all things being made new. Now, Luke, I want us to read this text, but here's what we're going to quickly do. We're going to then jump around to some surrounding texts, and here's why. For Luke, this moment is so significant, it's so monumentous, this, the dove being released from Christ to the church that he cannot simply describe it with one word. Luke will use a multiplex of descriptions to give language to the significance of this event. In fact, what you will find is there's really six words that Luke uses to describe the Pentecostal bestowal of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Every single word, in a sense, is synonymous, but they're also very distinct as well. And as you begin to study each word, it actually provides like this fuller, more enriched understanding of what really took place in the upper room and what still remains for us today. Amen? 
We're going to look at the gift, the promise of the Father sent by the Son, and the promise still remains. And with each word that we look at, I promise you this, there's going to be a deeper understanding of what it is that has actually took place and that's still open today. Yes? We're talking about something much more. I believe in my heart. I really do. And I've studied a lot on this now. I really believe we're talking about something that's extending beyond just being converted. I believe all the language we see around here is not just about being converted and made right with God. This is about an anointing for empowerment for missions. It's really, really significant. And so I believe God wants to touch us this way. And I believe he's, all I want to do is prime our hearts for encounter this morning. And then we're just going to open up the altars and pray. For the things that we're about to read, it's just giving you like language to anchor your heart in faith. And then we're going to pray over people. Amen? Amen. All right. So Acts chapter 2, let's read where this transfer took place. And then we'll look at some surrounding words. Verse 1 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, stop. <laughs> I got to control myself here, but just the word Pentecost. We could spend an entire day together just talking about the significance of the background of what's happening here in this festival. But what, what I'll say is just so you have some understanding is that Pentecost, the word is 50, means 50th in Greek. So literally what you have right now is after Passover, that first Sunday, 50 days from that first Sunday after Passover is Pentecost. Now, what is that first Sunday after the Passover festival for us? That's Resurrection Sunday, right? So you have Passover, Resurrection Sunday. 50 days then from Resurrection Sunday is Pentecost. 40 days would have been the Ascension, and then 10 days between Jesus ascending and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's where you get Pentecost on 50th day. So this is the 50th day. Now, what, is, what does that mean, Pentecost, though? This is one of the three major festivals that would require the Jews to all pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. You're talking like the population would swell to a massive amounts of people. It's a pretty exciting time. People would be in uh, tents and whatnot, hanging outside the Jerusalem temple. And it's, this is the backdrop where God's just going to drop this bomb in front of on the church, which is just incredible. But here's what, here's what Pentecost, one way to understand it. It's the Feast of the first fruits, or it's the Feast of Weeks. Um, what that means is it's an agricultural festival. Basically, it's the beginning of harvest season. Yes. So what that means is the Jews would come and they would get their first harvest, their, like, their sheaf of grain, and they would take it and they would bring it and they would offer it up to God. And it was a sign of thanksgiving, but also it was kind of a prayer as well for the rest of the harvest to come in safely. So with that backdrop, this is where the Spirit of God is poured out. And it's a sign, guys, for us in the Spirit that the, the, uh, the harvest this is just the beginning. It's the beginning of harvest season. The 120 are just the first fruits. There are many, many more to come into the kingdom of God. That's the idea. All right, so with that background, they're in this festival. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's where the Spirit of God first comes in. God breaks into this place. We're not talking here about omnipresence where God is everywhere. He is. But this is the active, dynamic, manifest presence of God. They heard a sound from heaven. What, is, what was the sound saying? God has come. God has come and has broken in. And now what was on Christ is now on the church so once again, that we would go out and continue the, the works and words of Jesus. So let's look at six words Luke uses to describe this event. Amen? And then we're going to pray and uh, have our hearts really touched. So come with me to uh, Acts 1, 4, and 5. Come back a chapter. Acts chapter 1, 4, and 5. Here's our first word. Jesus, again, this is in preparation, telling his disciples to wait. This is what will happen in the upper room. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the first term that's you, that I want to look at that describes what happened in Acts 2 is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
So what does that mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, it helps us to know that it's kind of a parallel to being baptized in water. As John baptized in water, Jesus is coming to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Well, what happens when you're baptized in water? It means you are immersed in, plunged under. You're completely submerged. So this means that when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's a complete immersion of the entirety of our being in the Holy Spirit. Not a single part of your body remains untouched. Mind, soul, body, you name it. All of it is like going under in the Holy Spirit. Yes? <laughs> now listen, this is really important, is that this, this description, the baptized in the Holy Spirit, this, all four Gospels introduce Jesus the very same way. This is so important, guys. We do this, like if there's a new political leader, typically what they say or how someone introduces them, that first thing will really be a clear indication of what they've ultimately come to do. Yes? Do you know that all four Gospels say Jesus has come for this purpose right off the bat? And it's so easy to glance over it and make it, it's like kind of this secondary weird thing. No, it's so central to the Gospel and New Covenant. What does every Gospel say as they introduce Jesus? John baptizes with water for the forgiveness of sins, but there's one coming who's greater who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You could actually say that the ultimate purpose for Christ's coming is to baptize us, immerse us in the Holy Spirit. But what's happened is if you look at traditional theologies, like particularly like if you trace back from like Reformation time, we typically have cut off the Holy Spirit aspect and we've presented a gospel message that says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and we stop there. Now listen, that is so important to teach, that's so important to lay out, but if you stop with that message, you stop with a preparatory gospel. Being forgiven of your sin and being baptized and washed clean is actually an act to prepare you so that you can now be filled and consumed by the Holy Spirit. This is actually the purpose he's come for. If we stop halfway, again, we stop with a preparatory gospel, but the full gospel is that in the place of repentance and being forgiven that you would then be immersed in the Spirit of God. Guys, this is the new covenant. It's the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Jesus' blood ratifies, it's like the signature on the new covenant. But what is the new covenant itself? Life in the Spirit. Paul speaks about this all the time. If you cut off life in the Spirit, you cut off the essence of the new covenant. The door, the door has been opened up, though, for all of us to be baptized, drenched in, submerged in life in the Spirit. So here's what's happened, though, is that uh, certain traditional lines of thought, and I don't say this to, to butt heads, but a lot of us have been influenced by this. What they had to do is say, okay, we cannot deny that Christ, it says in every gospel, he's come to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So we can't just deny that, but here's what we'll do. We will completely uh, uh, um, kind of restructure what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So typically what that means now is it means the Holy Spirit will help you and work out your what's known as in Latin, the ordo salutis, which is the order of salvation. So basically the sole purpose of the Holy Spirit is he'll, he'll work sanctification, justification, adoption, glorification. He's going to make sure all of those things work out in your life. Now let me be clear. He is active in all of those things. Those are gold mines. You should, we teach on those things. Those are treasures. I'm not in any way devaluing that. But the thing is, is if you reduce the... Baptism in the Holy Spirit to just those things, we completely violate the testimony of the scriptures themselves. Because when Jesus says, I will baptize with the Holy Spirit, he wasn't actually introducing something that was brand new. He was building off of an Old Testament principle. And we'll see that. There were pictures, again, it was limited, but you saw little snippets of when the Holy Spirit would come upon people. Holy Spirit would clothe people, rush upon people, and what would happen? This wasn't just a matter of being converted. They would have power for things they couldn't do before. Prophetic utterance would come out of their mouth. Boldness to preach the gospel like Gideon. This, so when the Jews hear, I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, this is what they're thinking. We're going to be immersed in the presence, power, and spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's very active in all those other things, but this is what Christ has come to do. Amen? So that's number one. It's to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the second thing. Come with me to verse 33 of Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 33. This is, again, Peter giving some commentary. I just read this before, actually, to what happened in the upper room, and so now we learn another word. Verse 33, Acts 2, it says, 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what is another term to describe what happened in the upper room? It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or pouring out. So baptized in the Spirit is number one. Number two is a pouring out. This is a word that Luke will use often. What does it mean to have an outpouring? I just naturally go to like natural thinking, right? It means to be drenched, I think, soaked. What do we mean when we say it's downpouring? It's pouring outside. It's an outpouring. We mean it's not misting. It's not drizzling. It's, it's not just dripping. It's a complete downpour. If you were to go in it, you'd be absolutely soaked thoroughly. So, to be, so for the Spirit of God to come on you means the Spirit of God to outpour upon your life. Do you think that that might like look like something, feel like something? Yeah. It doesn't always have to look like, what I hope you'll see as well is I think there is a great range of diversity as to what it looks like when someone gets touched by the Holy Spirit this way. So I'm not going to limit anything, but I just want to say that I don't think that, that you would walk away saying, I wonder if Holy Spirit touched me. Actually, actually all, all the time in Luke Acts, even in Paul's writings, he's always saying, you know when you received the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the questions that Paul says in Acts 19, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, however you want, there's different understandings of this, but one thing we have to agree on, Paul's understanding is you would know if you've been touched by the Holy Spirit. There's no like, ah, I think like, Two years ago, something happened. Like, you'd be like, no, like, my life is different. Uh, there's a hunger I've never had. Like, there's a joy. Uh, there's, like, authority on my life. There's a boldness. Like, you would know. Amen? If, if we're called, if we're called, the illustration is the drink, like, on the Holy Spirit, to kind of use a crude illustration, but I heard, I think it might have been Randy Clark said this, you would never have to convince someone if they've been drinking alcohol. You never, you never say, have you been drinking? Say, I don't know. You feel the effects. And Paul says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If I can know that I've been touched by that, you can know. And the being filled by the Holy Spirit, you're going to have like sound mind, like authority, boldness. Like these are the effects of that, right? So we should know. Amen. So we're being drenched. The other thing is to pour out. The other thought that comes to mind is to give all of something. So this is amazing, guys. When God, when God gives himself, he doesn't hold back. <laughs> He, he, the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 is one of plentitude and boundlessness. Like he gives in this copious, lavish flow. Are you dry? <laughs> Do you feel like you need? Let's pray for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is to be immersed in the life of God. Uh, I know for myself, here's one thing. Well, I, I don't, I'm not qualified for that. Maybe things aren't the way I would like them to be right now in my life. Um, I get there's, there's something there, but also that is to say as if some point I could be qualified for this on my own works. The reality is, is none of us were ever qualified to receive. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you're disqualifying yourself today saying, ah, I, I want to get this in order, you could never make yourself right enough for that. Actually, the Holy Spirit will in many ways be the very energy that you need for the change that you want to see in your life. Look at, look at verse 17 of Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 17. This is when uh, Peter first stands up and he quotes Joel. Verse 17, he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There it is again. So one of the ways to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here it says on all flesh. Sons, daughters, male, female, it's slave-free. It's like every barrier you can think of in Christ, it's all been eliminated. God desires to rest on all flesh in order that we would bring about his will of renewal. The last time I checked, 120 is not all flesh. <laughs> He's still looking to rest. He's still looking to pour out. In fact, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's not a one-time event, guys. In the, even in the book of Acts, let me be clear, Pentecost is distinct. So I don't want to devalue Pentecost and, and say we're going to redo Pentecost over and over and over again. No, just like the crucifixion of Christ, that's a once and all for event, but there is something that's been opened up through that event, right? Same thing with Pentecost. This is actually encouraging. There's only one Pentecost, if you will, but that has opened a door, one outpouring for many streams now. So what you have through church history, what you have even through the book of Acts, once this door is open, there should be expectation that this, we should encounter many streams from this place. 
And even as you go deep into history of church and move further away from Acts, if you were to trace those streams back, they all have one source. It was Acts 2, where the door has been opened up. Amen? Hallelujah. So look, in Acts 10, you don't have to go there, but in the house of Cornelius, to show you an example of this, when the Spirit of God falls on Cornelius and his house, uh, the Jews that are with um, Peter are amazed because they say even uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit fell or was poured out even on Gentiles. So it was poured out even on Gentiles. They're giving the same language. There's another stream flowing from Acts 2. Uh, you could even go through references from what we would call non-canonical writings, writings outside of Scripture, but still carry a lot of weight into understanding how the early church operated. Listen to this one. This, is, this dates back to 96 A.D., from Clement of Rome to the church of Corinth, same church that Paul dialogued with. And Clement of Rome writes this, a profound and abundant peace was given to you all and you had an insatiable desire for doing good while a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit was upon you all. So we see, I mean, we could go through many letters as an epistle of Barnabas in 130 AD, talks about the pouring out of the Spirit point is this, is that the pouring out of the Spirit extends beyond the pages of Acts. It, you begin to see it working in the life of the early church because this door has been opened. In fact, Peter, when he quotes Joel, he says, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit. Days is plural, which means we're not just talking about one outpouring. We live in the last days, God. When the Spirit was poured out, the end has started. So we've been 2,000 years living in the last days, and the point is this, is that the last days should be marked by fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring after fresh outpouring. Praise God. Let's go to Acts 10 for a third word. Baptizing the Holy Spirit, pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to Acts 10, verse 43. Acts 10, verse 43. This is Peter. I just actually went through this a little bit. Peter He's is, uh, sharing the gospel in the house of Cornelius when the Spirit of God is going to do something very uh, significant that ties to what happened at Pentecost, but there's new language here. So verse 43, Peter speaking to Cornelius and his household says to him or to Christ, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he's teaching about Jesus. He's the fulfillment of every scripture. He's speaking about forgiveness of sins. Now look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, while he was still bearing witness to Christ, it says the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Okay, the third term that Luke likes to use is the Holy Spirit falling on people. So you have baptized, pouring out, falling on. Now this one I really like. There's a few things I want to highlight in here that really gives us like some faith for what we can expect. Three things from this text. Number one, when the Holy Spirit falls on people, you should expect it. It's often suddenly. So this says, while Peter was still saying these things, meaning Peter actually wanted to keep preaching, but there was a divine interruption and the Holy Spirit fell. It, that's right. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, Peter had no intention of this happening. Now listen, Acts 2, you see the same thing. It says they were all together in one place when suddenly the Spirit of God fell. Now, I believe we can, like, tarry in the place of prayer. There's things that we do as a preparatory act, but when the Spirit still comes, comes down like this, you just, you're not planning for that. It just happens. In fact, church history shows that in some of the most amazing moves of God where the Spirit of God fell on people, it was in the places where they were least expecting it. Yes, they were contending for a move of God this way, but then it just, it just happened, right? So that should be expectation. Every time we gather, it's like, God, what are you going to do? So number one, it's suddenly... Number two, it's forcefully. When someone or something falls, it falls with all of its force, right? So think about when you're like trying to get an object off the shelf and it falls. It's like, poof, all of its force. There's nothing holding it back. So when the Holy Spirit falls on people, it's the glory of God falling on people, all of his weight coming down on someone, right? Which is why, look, I'm not saying this because we're trying to make it look like anything, but just to give context, this is why I do believe sometimes people can fall under this because sometimes you fall when God falls on you. Now, we're not looking to make something, but if God wants to do that, so be it. But just so you have some scriptural understanding, you see this, you see this even in the Old Testament. The glory of God came. People couldn't stand under it. This is this idea 
So there's this forceful coming of God. Uh, again, Acts 2 speaks of the mighty rushing wind that came in there. It wasn't just that it came suddenly, it was strong, which means its effects are undoubtedly felt, right? God falling on someone. So not only is it suddenly forcefully, but to fall also implies it's heavenly, meaning falling means top down. It's something that comes by God. It's initiated by God. Um, now, let me be clear. Does that mean that we play no role? No. Peter was preaching a true gospel presentation on forgiveness of sins when the Holy Spirit fell. But you know what's also interesting? In Acts 10, there's like no laying on of hands. There's no altar call. He's just preaching, and the Holy Spirit just falls. So that can happen, guys. As we're just gathering together, the Holy Spirit can fall on people, right? And just suddenly, forcefully, heavenly. But if you go to Acts 8, it's really interesting. Uh, do you guys know about the Samaritan spirit reception? Peter, uh, Philip comes, preaches the gospel of the kingdom. By all accounts, it seems like he's preached the true gospel. They've responded. They've been baptized. But one problem. Uh, none of them had says the Holy Spirit has not fallen on any of them yet. Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. So what did they have to do? They sent Peter and John to come, and they had to lay hands on them. So in Acts 10, there's no laying on of hands. Holy Spirit just falls. In Acts 8, we see there must be laying on of hands, and then the Holy Spirit falls. Point is this. We need to break maybe some of the, the boxes that we have of how God wants to move. Um, he can do it through laying on of hands. He can do it without any laying on of hands. <laughs> there's a lot of ways that he can come. And I don't want us to say, well, this is not God because it didn't happen this way, when actually it could be. Or we can say this must be God because I did ABC. But really, just because we followed a ritual doesn't mean the reality is still there. In fact, I say this a lot. It's really got me that Luke, in no way do I see any indication by Luke that he cares about ritual. Only thing he cares about is reality. Did you get touched by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Typically, we, I get caught up in ritual. It's got to be like this. It's got to be like this. It's got to be like this. The only thing Luke cares about is, I just care, did it happen? Did your life change? Are you living by the Spirit now? Whatever was the fruit, the sign, so be it. I think there's some patterns we see, but at the end of the day, there's a, there's a lot of freedom in how the Holy Spirit wants to do this. Amen. All right, let's go to Acts 1.8, number four. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Such an encouragement. Thanks, bud. <laughs> all right, Acts 1.8. Are you guys tracking with me? I'm not, I'm not going to say it, Greg, all right? <laughs> all right, Acts 1.8. Jesus, again, preparing his disciples for the upper room experience. Let's hear what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Another phrase that Luke loves to use is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll see this a lot. I think from like reading through these scriptures, what it means is Holy Spirit, essentially, it's like he takes over. He takes control. It's like almost, it's almost like he takes, he, he begins to like take possession of your life for the sake of empowerment for witness. It, it's it's not that we lose our free will, but now we're being energized by something beyond self. That's the way I describe it. It's almost as if I would say, you could say, I have Holy Spirit, but that's different than saying Holy Spirit has me, right? <laughs> what you're saying, the Holy Spirit has come upon me. It's like, whoa, something is driving. I sense a different grace and a wind that's flowing through my life. Now, there's a, there's a really good example of this. You don't have to turn there, but Luke 1, to give you a picture of this, Luke 1, 34, 35, Mary is engaging with the, the uh, angel Gabriel. She's been told she's going to have a child. And she says, how in the world can I have a child when I'm still a virgin? And the angel's response is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, how will this happen? Holy Spirit will take over. Now, the only thing you need to do, Mary, is submit your life, surrender your life, give your yes to God, but he's actually going to provide the grace and the power to do what I've asked you to do. So when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon us as a church, what we're really saying, or what Jesus is saying, he's encouraging us that he will never abandon us to our own resources to do what he's asked us to do. That's what he's telling his disciples. Uh, look, I have a task for you. How are we ever going to be extensions of your ministry, Christ? Holy Spirit will come upon you. That would be saying, he's going to do it. You just give me your yes, make yourself available. God will do it through you. Amen? Now, look, there's a lot of Old Testament examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. 
This is so important because remember what I said. When the disciples hear these words, they're, they're not like, they're not um, hearing this for the first time. There's a rich history of Old Testament scriptures they're drawing from and that Jesus is drawing from. The idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon people, there was an Old Testament precedent of this. This is the stuff they would have had in mind. Who? The judges specifically? You'll see many judges where the Holy Spirit came upon. But of course, probably the most well-known one is Samson. It often said the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, came upon him mightily. So when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, these guys are thinking, oh, like he did back in Samson's life. And what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon Samson? It said one time he tore a lion apart, like you would expect someone to tear a young goat. <laughs> like he had strength to do things he could never do before. Uh, one time he faced 30 men, and it said the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he defeated 30 men, killed 30 men. Um, I'm not advocating for that, but, but still, just supernatural strength. One time, the Holy Spirit rushed upon him, and he was in bondage to the Philistines, and it said he broke the ropes like flax in a fire, just withered. Why? Because the anointing breaks the yoke of the slavery. So what we're asking for is a church saying, God, we can't do this in our own strength. We need you to come upon us as a people, God, because there's people in bondage, and the only thing that breaks it like flax and fire is when the Holy Spirit rushes upon a people. Like, if Pentecost teaches us anything, it's that the one thing really necessary for the church, the one machinery necessary is the Holy Spirit. Like, it wasn't the church birth and then Holy Spirit, we tried to figure out how to bring him into the mix. The, Holy, the church is birthed by the Spirit of God. We move and live by the Spirit. Saul's another example. Guys, Saul's so encouraging. Do you know that, that at Saul's coronation, at his anointing, he was not present? 1 Samuel 10 says he was hiding, afraid of man, afraid of his call. Wanted nothing to do with it. So this is the picture, 1 Samuel 10 hiding. One chapter later, he gets word that there's about to be a war and the Ammonites are coming to destroy the Israelites. And this is what it says, 1 Samuel 11:6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words of the threat and his anger was greatly kindled. This isn't like some fleshly anger. This is boldness. This is like the zeal of the Lord. And the man who was just hiding among the baggage at his coronation is now leading his army into victory. What changed? He didn't just all of a sudden work himself up in this. The Spirit of God came upon him. Everything changed. This is what happens in Acts 2. Amen. All right, let's go to Luke 24. Another word. Keep your place in Acts 2. We'll come back there. Luke 24. Um, we'll just read verse 49. Two more words. Stay with me. Then we're going to pray. Luke 24, verse 49. Again, this is another word Luke likes to use. We've got baptized, pouring out. Uh, we've had the Holy Spirit coming upon you, outpouring. Here's another word. Luke 24, 49. Jesus says this to his disciples. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. From on high. <laughs> the fifth word that Luke loves to use is clothed with power to describe Acts 2. This is, guys, this is so incredible. In the upper room, it's like the early church, they, they received garments, but not natural garments, garments of power, garments of authority. The, 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 the power that was resting on their lives was so tangible and palpable, it could only be described in physical terms. It's like there was garments that they were walking in. And to show you this, though, we shouldn't be surprised because this is how Jesus walked, and this is what he's transferring to his church because at his baptism in Luke, it says he was clothed with power as well. And then in Luke 6, just listen to this, Luke 6, after Jesus was clothed in power, here's what happened. It said all the people were trying to touch him for the power was coming from him and healing them all. Meaning it's like they saw garments on his life, and all they wanted to do was touch the garment that he was clothed in. This is what, I just think part of us, us walking in this is just having our, like, minds renewed to what has actually been given to us to walk in. Uh, Luke 9, Jesus called the 12 to himself, and it says, and he gave them power and authority to do what? To heal, to heal all diseases, and to cast out every demon and proclaim the kingdom of God. He gave them power. Why is that significant? Because at the end of Luke, he says, wait in the city until you're clothed with power. Why do we need this power? No doubt they would have been saying, wait a minute, he's given us power once before for what? To heal the sick, to drive out demons, to proclaim the kingdom. Now he's telling us to wait for this thing to clothe us and remain in us so we can continue to do this ministry. This is New Testament discipleship, right? 
And everyone gets to play a part in this. Everyone gets to be involved in this. Everyone, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, right? Slave nor free in Christ. That doesn't just mean like there's a baby Jesus living in you. In Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Everyone is in the anointing of Christ when you come into faith in Jesus. Your life has been smeared by the oil. You've been given permission to walk in this. I, I, here's, my, here's my experience. The more I step out in these things, the more I see them. The less I step out, the less I see them. <laughs> Pretty simple principle. <laughs> the more I step out, the more I see that this stuff still happens. So there was a while where I was like, God, I don't see any of these things. And he's like, well, you don't do any of these things. <laughs> That's probably why you don't really see them, right? <laughs> now, again, there's a remarkable connection in the Old Testament. And I don't say that heavy-handed. Just to let you know, there's an invitation for us. Um, there's a remarkable connection as well to the Old Testament with being clothed with power. Amasai, Zechariah, these are both stories in Chronicles. Both times they're clothed with the Holy Spirit, and both times they have uh, prophetic utterance comes afterwards, which I think is interesting because that's what you see in Acts as well. But one of the greatest stories with being clothed in power, and this would have been informing the disciples of what to expect, was Gideon. Everyone knows the story of Gideon. Gideon, again, encourages me, a man full of doubt, <laughs> fear, wrestled with his call for a while, finally steps into it. And God says, I'm going to send you against the strongest army, the Midianites. You're going to take your army of 32,000, but before you go in, I'm just going to do some reforming, and I'm going to dwindle down to 300. <laughs> Not great odds to help a man who's already scared. He literally has less than 1% of his starting army. And then he's going to go with 300 against 135,000. He's literally outnumbered 450 to 1. And in every way, the Midianites far advance in weaponry. There's no chance for Gideon. But he goes out in power and boldness and defeats them. How? One single verse changes everything for him. Judges 6.34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And the man that kept saying, God, is this you? Is this you? Is this you? Is this you? I know you did it this way. Is this you? I can't do it. You got the wrong person. I'm not the right person. I'm not, I don't come from the right family, the right tribe. You've missed it. Spirit of God clothes him and everything changes. And now he's going out in power. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Last thing. Last one. Come back to Acts 2. We'll finish right here. I know we're, uh, we've been here for a little bit, but this is, this is important. Acts 2. To the same text we started. All right, let's read verses 2 to 4 again. And suddenly, everyone there, Acts 2, 2 to 4. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And here's the key verse, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the sixth and final word that we see is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's actually the first description that Luke uses to describe the Pentecostal gift. It's actually Luke's favorite description. He uses it nine times through Luke Acts. It's his favorite way to describe what happens. He says, you are now filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what does that mean again? I think it really just carries this idea that when the Holy Spirit fills you, it literally pervades, permeates, like penetrates every part of your being. Like the Spirit wants to break down every single barrier and have access to everything. F like fill the entirety of who we are in order to then work through us. Fill us to this degree. Now, I know many can testify prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe desiring to bring gl glory to God, desiring to be more effective in witness, things like that. And it's not always this is the answer, but many times they were touched mightily by the Holy Spirit and something changed. Something changed in their life. That's the only way I can describe it. I want you to notice something here that it says the house was filled before they were filled. So for something began to hit this atmosphere, this room, and then what was happening in the room outwardly began to touch them inwardly. But this is why this is really significant, because when it says the house is filled, this is, I think, drawing on Old Testament language as well, that when a house was built for God, the glory of God would come and fill it. So when Moses built the house of the Lord, the glory came and filled it. When Solomon dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles 7, the glory of the Lord filled it. Now, this is what's interesting, though. In both times, when the glory of God filled the house of the Lord, whoever was present could not enter in. Moses couldn't enter in, and the priest in the days of Solomon could not enter in. 
But now in the upper room, when the glory of God comes and fills the house, the disciples are not forced to leave. They're actually in the house. And not only are they in the house, they themselves now become filled by that same glory. That is all because of the sufficiency of what Christ has done for us. You and I can now be fully immersed, filled with the presence and spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. So, um, Mark, if you, uh, if you don't mind putting something on, I want to give you just the last few notes on being filled in the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time experience. You see multiple fillings. We're commanded to be filled. So if you've been touched by the Lord in a powerful way, God wants to do it again. Uh, there's many places I can go, but I'll just leave it there. Being filled with the Holy Spirit can be an individual experience, but also, guys, this is really encouraging, also a corporate experience. Do you know that? So through Luke Acts, there's five individuals that are filled on their own. John the Baptist was filled from the womb. You have Elizabeth, Zechariah, Paul, and Peter, all filled individually. But then you also have these accounts where an entire community was filled. Acts 2 is obviously an example. Acts 4. Acts 13, 52 speaks of the disciples at Antioch and Pisidia. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. The point is this, is that your body is meant to be filled by the Lord individually, but we are also a body. Meaning we as a community can all be immersed and filled as a community. This is what it means to be a spirit-filled community. It's not just that we have a bunch of spirit-filled individuals showing up, but something unique has happened where the Spirit of God has been poured out, where he's literally pervading every part of our ministry, every part of our corporate life. It's all touched by the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing. And the last thing is that there's a diversity of signs that can take place. That's really important. This is just my personal position after going through this. But how, what does it look like? I think there's a lot of things. <laughs> I think sometimes when people get filled, baptized, poured out, clothed, you see inspired speech. So Elizabeth, when the Holy Spirit filled her, it, she released a new song of praise. It's like this prophetic song was released. Elizabeth spoke in prophecy. Um, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. So sometimes you'll see this prophetic utterance that comes out. It's really, really powerful. Um, sometimes people are touched with boldness to witness. Acts 4.33, they prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed for boldness, that God would stretch out his hand. And the whole place was shaken, which means God responded. All we see there is the sign of them being touched was that they now had a boldness to go and witness. Supernatural like witness was coming into their lives. That could be a sign for you. Joy can be a sign this morning for you. The, the disciples in Acts 13.52, the disciples of Antioch and Pisidia, it says they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like this, this is like the joy of the Lord is a strength, guys. This is like a weapon joy. This isn't just like, oh, I feel a little bit better. This is, I think, like something really profound. It's like God gives the, the, uh, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's like heaviness on your life just being washed away. Wisdom actually can be a sign of being filled. The seven in Acts 6, Stephen and the seven that were appointed to serve tables, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Divine wisdom on your life coming out there recognizing you're facing situations you faced before, but all of a sudden you're like, wait, I know how to handle this. I just sense like God's, I know what to do in this. I'm not confused over my purpose. I'm not like tormented, but I don't know where to step. There's just a wisdom on my life that I'm flowing in. Amen? Spiritual gifts flow. <laughs> There's a wide open door. So I want to pray for people to be touched this way. <laughs> and what we're really praying for is reality. We just want Holy Spirit to come and touch people um, for the sake of our lives being different as we go out and live for him. Whatever comes with that, we're open to it. Um, but you don't need to feel any pressure. But if you'd like to be prayed for, I want to do that for sure. We're going to have the prayer team come up in a moment. The starter is if you don't know Jesus, just come up and say, I want to turn my life to Jesus. See what the Lord does in your life this morning. I believe the Spirit will come upon people powerfully to such a degree that you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit, baptized, to the point that He will then pervade every part of your being. You'll be filled. <laughs> it's the full experience. Now look, I've shared a lot and uh, I've taught a lot, but I want, I want to put just my two cents in that I believe 
Pentecost especially, cannot be reduced to a theological formula. Now, I believe what we did is really, really important, but I believe that it can't just be reduced to going through the scriptures like we did. Like this, a meteorologist can study and track a hurricane, and you can learn a lot about a hurricane through diagrams and charts, but there's something different than actually being out in the field and feeling the wind come upon your life. There's something about staring at it. There's something about sensing and experiencing it. And there is a place to do what we just did so that our hearts are in faith to what to encounter. But when it comes to Pentecost, we need to stand in the field and let the wind of God move upon our hearts and our minds and our body until there's really a resurrection from lifelessness into being full with God. Amen. So let's stand together. Yeah, let's just ask God to do what we just what we just saw in his word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. It's your will, Lord. We're not forcing you to do something that you're reluctant to do. But you came rushing in in that room because, Holy Spirit, you desired to be there. You desired to fill, to baptize, to clothe, to come upon, to be poured out. It's your desire. And so we just come into agreement this morning. We're going to pray in agreement with your desire. And, Lord, you said we can have confidence and the assurance to receive what we're praying for if we pray according to your will. And your will, Lord, is that your people would have the dove resting on their life, not only to transform them, but then to transform everything around them, God. So right now, I just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, you would align us into faith. We just pray against pressure or any other weird thing that want to come in. And we just pray in simple truth that you're going to touch people, Lord. I thank you in advance for the giftings that will come out from this. I thank you for the joy that's going to be released. I thank you for wisdom that's going to be released. I thank you for the boldness that's going to come upon lives. I thank you for the supernatural power that's going to rest on lives. I thank you, Lord, that when these things happen, we will go and then exercise them and steward what you're about to do. So we just, right now, I pray for everyone that's going to pray, God. I just pray for faith in their hearts. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.